0: Staff, so give it up for him, yeah, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and stand with me and we'll take a look at Romans 3 and we'll give it over to Josh. That's a nice looking shirt, Josh. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I notice. <laughs> Romans 3, we're in verses 21 through 24 today. If you've got one of those black Bibles from the back, that can be found on page 941, Romans 3, starting verse 21. Let's read this together. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Um,
1: Yeah, my first full week, so I just want to say thank you personally from me and Aubrey and my boys and hopefully my other boy in the womb right now. Um, it's been a great transition. Uh, I mean, I've come to tears a few times just thinking about God's, you know, control of my life and bringing me out here from Texas. I was doing fine in Texas, and something in me said... I need to get back there. I think ministry's in my future. And I got plugged in here and Luke took a liking to me, I think, or I was a warm body and started investing in me and then you guys have all seemed to like me or those of you who don't, don't say anything to me, so I appreciate that. Um, but thank you. I mean, I, I do feel loved here and um, going into a job like ministry where it's the weightiness of people and sin and life, um, it's good to know that. Y'all love me, so I appreciate that. Um, For now, I get to actually uh, talk about some good news. The last couple of months now have been rough, and Luke's been gone for a lot of them. He's like, "Uh, I'm going to punt this one. And every week you've come in here, and we open up, and you're like, oh, the Bible. Yeah, I hear that's a good book. Um, You are a horrible, wretched, worthless sinner. Come back next week for more. (laughs) Go to the next verse with me. Did I mention how horrible you were? I don't think you got me the first time. You're horrible. Come back next week. Seriously, you're the most horrible human being I've probably ever known. Come back next week. And it's been on and on and on and just a beat down. And finally, some good news. And luckily, I get to teach it. So um, it always helps. I'm kind of a visual learner when I am actually learning. To see how Romans works so you know what we're about to jump into. So as you know, Romans 1, through 3 was, you're horrible. I know you think you're not, but let me just, I mean, it was like the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit was like trying to get every angle on your life imaginable. Okay, straight up, and let's get, okay, and then let's take this angle and this angle. So that you could see yourself from every possible angle, and you walk out feeling, gosh, I am horrible. And that was the point. That is the point of Romans. So 1 through 320 is you're horrible. The good news is so is everyone around you. 321. But now the good news begins. So 1 through 320 is wretched sinner. 321, but there's some good news. And here's how Romans plays out. This is the most important message you will hear in all of Romans. Not because I'm preaching it. But because it's the turning point of this message of the book of Romans. It's how do you get from wretched, horrible, guilt-ridden, shame-ridden sinner to a child walking with God. Here's the turning point of this book. And if you you walk through, I mean, if you've got a book like me, they give you headings, which is nice. They're going to show you that Abraham, the old school, Old Testament guy was justified just the same way you are. And then there's a promise, and there's peace with God, and there's, you're no longer like Adam. You're alive with Christ, and you're dead to sin. You're alive to God. You now can do righteous deeds. You're alive with Christ, and this is all these promises of this new life in Christ. And if you will, just flip over to Romans 12. Let me show you the other big flip of this book here. 1 through 3, did I mention how bad you are? 3 through 12, oh, by the way, God has taken care of it. Now chapter 12, verse 1 there says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. So here's the breakdown. You're a sinner today, but there's good news. Three and a half years from now, whenever we get to 12, therefore, in light of everything we've just talked about, here's how you live. Here's how religion would do it and does it. One through three, you're a sinner. They wouldn't go to the degree and the extent to show you your sin like we do here in the book of Romans. But all religions would say, you're messed up. And they would say, therefore, live this way. So they would put chapter 12 right after the bad news and say, the way to get out of the bad news is to live better. Oh, well, thanks. I've never thought it. So the way to stop being bad is to be good. Oh, thank you, religion. Appreciate that. Chapter 12, be good, and then what religion would do is tack on all the promises to the back end and say, in light of how well you've lived after your change of life that you've made, now God likes you. Now God's probably going to let you into heaven. Now God's okay with you. Christianity is altogether different. You're a sinner like me and like Paul, but now there's some good news. Isn't this good news? Now, here's how this plays out. Some of us are going to walk out of here elated. Some of us are going to walk out of here pretty excited. Some of us are going to walk out of here the exact same way we came in. Some of it's my teaching, but most of it is 1 through 3. How much of an impact has it made in your life? Say it another way. The extent to which Romans 1 through 3 becomes personal to you, meaning you're the person he's talking about, is the extent to which you'll feel the power we're about to experience here in this flip, this new chapter of Romans. Does that make sense? This is good news and everyone's going to say, yeah, that, that does sound like good news. I can be right with God. Cool. But the extent to which sin is real to you, and you, sir, are a sinner. You, Joshua James Watt, are a sinner. The extent to which that becomes real is the extent to which this is going to overflow with gratitude in my heart. It goes like this. If we got a tweet, cancer's been healed, and everyone starts to kind of get this message on their smartphones, there's been a cure for cancer, we would all walk out here and say, great news. Some of us who experience cancer in a real, personal, devastating way would walk out here and say, my life's never going to be the same that's what this does for us if you experience one through three your life will never be the same in light of verse 21 here good news thank you Luke for giving me something nice to teach gosh here's how I I personalized this for me so as I was thinking through okay make it personal I actually rewrote Romans with me in it rewriting the Bible not a Smart thing to do always. I think it gets you into trouble. But in this case, we'll let it slide. What does Romans look like if I completely personalize it and make it about me? Here's what Romans has said so far starting three months ago when we kicked off. This is Paul talking to me. For what can be known about God has been plain to Josh because God has made it abundantly clear. I've never had an excuse for not believing in God. So Josh is without excuse. Although Josh knew God, he has never honored him like he deserves, and his foolish heart has been darkened. Come back next week, Josh. Claiming to be wise, Josh has become nothing more than a fool. He has exchanged the most glorious truth ever for petty little lies about creation, and his life has become one that serves and worships this creation. Yikes. Josh's mind has become corrupt. Filthy. Think of a sin, Josh has done it. You name it, Josh has done it. Not only was Josh a full-blown sinner, he applauded sin. He was entertained by sin. He paid money to be entertained by sin. Yikes. Not only this, his sin is just making God more and more angry. God is taking notes on his entire life and he is not happy. In fact, when God looks down on Josh's life, all he feels is wrath. Instead of dealing with the issue at hand, he's a sinner. Here's how Josh has decided to deal with it. He's going to get religious. And he's going to compare himself to others and feel good about himself based off how he looks towards others. And his comparison game goes like this. He looks at people in their weakness... And he makes a judgment. And then he compares them, not into not equally, but he compares them to himself at a much better moment of his life. So he looks at people when they're lazy. He compares it to himself when he's working as hard as he's ever worked. And he walks around with pride. This has been the book so far. I look down on Josh's life, and this is the life I see. Let me sum it up for you. There is nothing good about you, Josh. Josh, you have never understood me. You have never sought after me. You refuse to seek after me. There's not one little bit of you that I look to and see as good. Josh is worthless compared to the great plan I had for him originally. Josh's mouth has been used to tear people down, to curse, to be bitter, to be a gossip. He loves violence. He loves pain. He especially loves it when it's inflicted on others. He has no peace. He has no fear of me. He won't shut up ever. And one day I'm going to shut him up. Because he'll have nothing to say when he sees me. Pretty good summary. Wraps it up. (sighs) We got a kid who's pretty emotional. I think he gets it from Aubrey. But he gets all wound up. And we say, Elijah, go breathe. So he walks out of the room. (sighs) And then he comes back. So let's that's a lot. I mean, I've really, as Luke and other people have been preaching, I've really tried to leave church and, like, make it about me. And it's heavy. Frank last week was saying, we are completely dead. And I just don't see myself like that. I think there's some, some decent life to me. And Paul says, you're dead. There's nothing good about it. All you do is sin. You screw it up all the time. I think this is important because one of Satan's greatest tools is to make us be very vague about sin. So you talk to someone, I kind of made a mistake with another woman. Like with her taxes? <laughs> you slept with a woman, not your wife. Okay, that's clear. I, 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 I'm human. I'm human. You need to get specific for the cross to get beautiful. This vagueness that Satan just loves doesn't do anything. You're a sinner. Here's the good news. Josh is about to bring it. There's a great song by David Crowder. Any David Crowder fans? He's kind of a weird guy. Really weird looking. But he has a great slow song. It's called, Come and Listen. Come and Listen. Anybody know the name? Come and listen to what he has done. And it's a slow song, and that's all he says. Come and listen to what he has done. Come and listen. And that's the gospel. Religion is yelling at you to get out these doors and get good. Christianity is come and listen to what he's done. What he's done for you, what he's done for me, what he's done for us. Come. Come and listen. Let's just sing that song. Such a good song. So how do we jump into this thing? Let's do this. Romans 3, 21 through 24. We stop at kind of a weird spot, but we'll pick up next week. Let's kick off where we left last week so you know exactly what leads into this. Go to verse 19 there. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law only comes knowledge of sin. So that's the backdrop to this message. The law brings knowledge of sin. The best visual I've ever seen for this is in a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Old book written by a guy named John Bunyan. And it's the story of this guy named Faithful. Faithful is a Christian. And it's his walk through life as a Christian. And it's interesting because he meets various people along the way. And it says, oh, and Faithful met, and he doesn't say Thomas, he says Encourager. He kind of gives the description of how each person fits into his Christian walk instead of a name. And Faithful meets Encourager, and Encourager said an encouraging word. And he doesn't go down to uh, Mount Everest, he goes to the Mount of Guilt and Shame. So everything is like this picture of how it's dealing in your Christian life. And the most interesting character is Moses. He's not called Moses, they don't even give his name. So, Faithful's walking along in life, and he meets Moses. Here's what Moses represents in this story all the law of all the scripture. So, the requirements that God requires. You get that? So, Faithful's walking along, and he meets the law face to face. And what is the law? <laughs> Such a good book. Here's what happens. So as soon as the man overtook me, it was one word and a blow. Moses knocks him out. Hilarious. Oh, I'm faithful. Hey, who are you? I'm... Let's continue. Hopefully Moses gets nicer. He knocked me down and he laid me for dead. Yikes. When I was a little come to myself again, I asked him, why did you do that? He said, because of your secret inclination to be like Adam. And with that, he struck me another deadly blow. Brutal. He beat me down backward, and I lay at his feet almost dead. So, this is our Christian man, and when he comes up against the law, he just keeps getting pummeled. So, when I came to myself again, I cried and asked for mercy. And he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, one last one. That's what the point of one through three was. You shouldn't have left here skipping. You should have got yourself up off the floor, the beat down that you received, and said, I need mercy. And apparently the law is not the place to find it. Very personal example. You're not supposed to, first period was slow on this. Let's see if you guys are a little more righteous. You're not, first period is a, what do we call it? First service? Whatever. Be quiet. You're sinners. First service, are you allowed to commit adultery? And they're like, the answer is no. That's in the commandments. You're supposed to just have one wife and be happy with her. And then it's unpacked more throughout scripture. And even Jesus comes along and says, oh, you, you think you're good because you follow that command. I say if you've ever even looked with intent, you've done that very deed. So how does that play out? Aubrey and I were married and we were uh, going to a grocery store. We come out and I'm just a great husband. So I go over and I open her door for her, kiss her on her cheek, sl- shut the door, walk over. And this girl comes walking by who just got done working out. So she's wearing workout clothes. And I did one of these. I get into the car and Aubrey says, nice. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. The law is a mirror. The more you go to it, you just find more and more stuff that needs to be fixed. So I've never been unfaithful to Aubrey. Oh, wait. You should have been beat down the last few months. That's a good thing. Only people knocked down on the ground for dead ask for help. They teach you in a, one of the trainings with being a teacher is how to stop fights. And you see two kids going out. You're supposed to say, hey. And the bully never looks at you because he's busy doing his business. It's the kid who needs help is like, help. So whoever looks at you, know, is the person you need to help because he's the weaker vessel. So You say, hey. And the bully's like, and the kid who needs help looks at you for help. You should be looking for help. Apostle Paul is about to give it. You tracking with this? You should all feel bad about yourselves. I hope you do. Job asked it like this. Job is an Old Testament guy. He said, truly I know it is so, but how can a man be right before God? That's the question. In light of all that's true. I agree that's true. How can a man be right with God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. I could give God a thousand answers for how I should be right with him. And none of them would be right if I'm looking at myself only. So here's what we're going to do. Three things come out of this passage. It's just a great passage. First thing, God's going to fill our need. What's our need in light of all this junk that we bring to the table? God's going to tell you what your response should be. And then finally, what's your reward for responding the proper way to this need? Great passage. Let's go. Verse 21 now. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. But now. Luke has always said he'd like to do a series, the big Butts of the Bible. He's an elder. Maybe he can make that call. His point is the good news of the gospel always comes after a but. You're a sinner. You're wretched. You're horrible. You stink. Did I mention you're horrible? But... Good news. Here's the greatest but in all of the Bible. But now, in light of the last four months of beatdown you're receiving, but now, let's talk some good talk. Let's talk about the good stuff. Now, from Jesus' day on, things are different. The way you kind of can picture this, a lot of people when you're teaching Bible ask, well, how did Old Testament people get saved? Because I know I'm saved because I believe John 3.16. Believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. How does that apply to all those guys before Jesus? Is it like a different religion? The best way to picture it, a Jew who becomes a Christian is now called a completed Jew. Christianity is the completion. It's not a whole new religion. Everything that was left open and unfinished, and the sentences that had a comma, not a period, have all been finished in Jesus. The Old Testament saints got saved like this I'm a sinner. God, I need your help. I need something better than what I bring to the table. And none of them knew what that was. I know I need something better. I don't know what it is. And now Paul's saying, Here it is on display for you. Everything that they hoped for and they tried to have a picture of but never did has been here. Right now, in this moment, for you. But now, the righteousness of God is here. Righteousness is a tricky church word. Because it's kind of a vague, churchy, like, what does that even mean? The righteousness of God. The best definition, I think, that kind of gets you to where you need to be in this passage is by the Puritans. Here's how they describe it. The righteousness of God is the righteousness... Which God's righteousness requires him to require. Say that again. The righteousness of God is the righteousness which God's righteousness requires him to require. Meaning if he's God and he's going to have people live with him, the righteousness of God is the level that he can deal with. Which is perfection. Which is... Absolutely no sin, no darkness, nothing bad. Perfection. But it's here. Here's how you can tell. This is kind of offensive to other religions, but I'm fine with it. If you start talking to other people about their religion, non-Christian, non-gospel religion, and you start to unpack, like, a standard of God and what I'm supposed to do to get up there, they all kind of make the same mistakes. They all in my eyes, in my estimation, come out to be an insecure teenage girl. Here's how. All girls have this standard in the head of what they want in a man. Aubrey actually found it, the rest of you settled. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. (laughs) And they get in their little Hello Kitty journal, I want my man, to be six foot three, 200 pounds, six pack, but doesn't stress out about working out. I want him to be rich, but not love money. I want him to be sweet and sensitive, but bold and courageous. And I want, we get this list. That's the man I'll settle for. And then life kicks in, and you settle for Biff because he's there. And that's how all other religion works. Their God has some sort of standard, and none of them meet it. Muslims are supposed to pray six times a day. None of them do that all the time throughout their entire life. Everyone has their standard, and they just kind of create a God that's this insecure teenage girl who, in the end, says, I tried my best. I really wanted this, but I'll take you. Christianity says the righteousness of God is the righteousness which his righteousness requires him to require, he will not settle. He won't marry Joe Schmo. He knows what he wants. And it's perfection. Be holy as I am holy. Paul says it's here. Does God really have to be that strict? As I think about, that's kind of the the hard part of Christianity. That's very strict. Yeah. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. Yes. How perfect? Perfect, perfect. How could God require that you be so strict? And I think part of the issue with it is our view of heaven and just eternal blessing with God is all twisted. So again, I did this exercise with first service. Here's how it plays out when you talk to most people. Do you think you're going to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I'm a good person. Okay. Who's going to hell? Shout out the names that are going to hell. Besides this man who just rose his hand. (laughs) Who's going to hell in this world? Hitler. Hitler. That was the first one I got last service. Stalin. um, Charles Manson. Like you get the worst murderers of all time. That's hell. But heaven is pretty much all of us just at a higher elevation. What? So you're telling me what's going to be great about heaven is that I get to be with everyone I'm already with right now? (laughs) Like the exact same setting? Are you getting what I'm saying? Like my longing for heaven, I never have a day where I get to the end of the day and say, I just can't wait to be in heaven apart from Hitler. (laughs) I say, I want to be in heaven with the few people I've met in my life who put all my needs and all my wants and my best at the forefront of their heart. Like this man who put our best at the forefront of his heart even though it cost him everything. The righteousness of heaven is this. Every single person you meet, driving down the 202 in heaven, if it's there, every person you look over, their thought when they see you is, I want the very best for him. So they're not going to be texting. They're not going to be distracted. They're going to be driving in such a way that your best interest is at heart. And then you're going to go to a business. And you're going to park. And you're going to go in. And everybody who works for the company, from the very top owner down to the lowest worker, their desire is going to be what they want for you. And that's the absolute best. That's righteousness. In every moment, every second of your day, with every situation, with every human being you come into, you want their best, even if it costs you. Anybody working that righteousness right now? That's the righteousness of God, and it's here in the person of Jesus. No one wants to get up and say, yeah, I got that covered. Okay, we're still on the same page. Let's keep reading. Righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been manifested apart from the law. What does that even mean? It means it's not by doing good. I hate to bring up another religion, but it's the one that we deal with most. In the Mormon faith, I've talked to a lot of teenage Mormons. And here's how I try to come at them. I say, I'm thinking about leaving my faith. Can you walk me through how I would switch and become a Mormon? It's less offensive than other things I could say. So I say, walk me through this process. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I would like to be a Mormon. And here's how it all boils down. Every single one. They say, well, you need to... Obey the gospel. Where I would tell someone, if they want to be a Christian, believe the gospel. Notice that same exact sentence, you switch one word and it goes on completely different courses for all of eternity. Mormons see the Old Testament and the New Testament as a continuation of just kind of moral duties, and they say, oh, you want to be like us? Obey the gospel. Within that, we'll add some more things like a mission and all that. But for the most part, just obey this. You see the punch coming, right? I'm going to screw it up. Where a Christian would say, believe this. That's what apart from the law means. Every religion says, the righteousness of God is offered to you through the law. Specifically through your obedience of this thing. Christianity says, no, 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 no. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's apart from the law. Although, the next section says, the law and prophets bear witness to it. As I, as I talk to folks about kind of their spiritual journey, we all kind of putz along. And then we have moments where we shoot up a lot. So like a camp experience. And then you kind of putz along. then you have your first kid and you shoot up or shoot down. I don't know. Or you have health scare. And it's this kind of like putzing along. And then you have these hikes in your Christian walk. As I talk to people, a lot of the hikes come from this very thing right here, what this little section is trying to say. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the more you see Christ in all of this book, you're going to shoot up. So those of you who have taken Bible boot camp, raise your hand. Was that a spiritual hike or did you fall off into a canyon? It was a hike. You jumped up a ton. And here's, here's the gist behind it. You start to see Jesus in this Bible more than you see yourself. I remember I was in Texas and we were church shopping, and I cried the first time we were in this church because the guy unpacked scripture from beginning to end with Jesus. And he said, Nothing to me or what I'm supposed to do. He said, Let me tell you about this guy. You want to know what the Old Testament's about? He so said, There's this guy called Abraham, and he had a son, and he was told to sacrifice him. Right? And they're walking up the hill. And what does the son say to Abraham as they're walking up the hill for a sacrifice? Daddy, where's the lamb? Old Testament, boom, summed up three words Where's the lamb? It's all about finding this perfect lamb that's supposed to take my place. And then you jump to the New Testament in the book of Matthew. And this crazy guy comes out of the wilderness. He's got the emo hair before his cool all in his face. He's got a locust in his mouth. John the Baptist rolls out of the desert. What's the first thing he says when he gets on the scene? Behold, the Lamb of God. And we're introduced to Jesus. And the whole gospel plays out Jesus' life. And then you get to, he said, I'm not done yet. You get to the end, you get to the book of Revelation. And they got these scrolls. And once they open them, they can trigger the end of human history and start a new heavens and a new earth. But there's a problem. No one worthy is found until the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And they all say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Apart from the law But all of the law and all of the prophets and every sentence, every word, every punctuation in this entire book points to the person, the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's why you showed up. Because eventually we're going to get to it. And now it's here. It's here. That's our need. We need a perfect righteousness, not on our own, given to us by someone else. And it's Jesus. There's our need. How do we respond to this? Go to the next verse. Verse 22 there. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Let me just tell you how this passage lays out. All have sinned. That's a past tense. It says all are sinful sinners, period. So it's saying when you look at humanity, the declaration all of it is all have sinned. And what's the proof? And then it goes in and it says, and all fall short of the glory of God. That's an ongoing thing. So all are sinners. And the way you want to see this come to be proved to you is you look at humanity and we're constantly falling short of the glory of God. Me as a husband, checking out a woman, not my own, falling short. Declaration, you're a sinner. Proof, live a day. And you fall short of the glory of God. How do you respond? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ offered to who? To all who would believe. Why? Because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I'll just make this real personal so those of you who have never done this before, so you kind of see how this plays out. How do I go from non-Christian through faith to becoming a Christian? I did this with my mom way back when. She had uh, divorced my dad, um, started pursuing another guy, got married eventually to another guy, and she was in the middle of that marriage coming to an end as well. So one marriage down, strike two is about to happen. And I remember one night, I was real late, it was like 2 in the morning, and she's sitting outside. We had this little bench outside, and she's smoking. She's just kind of shaking. I said, Mom, life doesn't have to be so chaotic. She grew up Catholic, and all this guilt is just smashing in on her. It can be gone. I said, so "You've got to personalize it. Romans one through three has to be real to you. She said, "I parenting's hard, I've screwed up." said, "There's an answer for every screw-up you can think of." I said, "Would you like to pray with me?" "Yeah, but I don't want to pray. I'm scared. Okay, I'll do the praying." And she admitted fault and sin before a holy, perfect God. And she said, I don't meet that standard. I don't meet it as a mom, as a wife, as a human being, as a worker. I don't meet it. But Jesus, I trust that when you give me your life, it's more than enough. She became a Christian. She finished her cigarette, went inside, and she's a Christian now. That's how it happens. Romans one through three has to be real to you. If you don't see yourself in any of one through three, this ain't for you. This ain't the time. The backdrop of your life, when you look at it, has to be black, black canvas, and the gospel, full of color and full of life, can throw be thrown on any black canvas. You just got to admit and turn and trust and faith. We're teaching our two-year-old, three-year-old how to swim. All he knows how to do is, he doesn't know how to kick, doesn't know how to paddle, but he knows if my dad's right there, he'll catch me. And he throws himself. Trust. My mom threw herself on everything Jesus said he would do for her. That's our response. The righteousness is here. Will you respond in faith to this person? This is good news, but the good news is coming in the next section. Verse 24, we'll end it here. What happens to these folks who turn in faith, like my mom, like some of you? They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Two of the biggest church words you'll ever come across they pack more weight than anything you'll ever read justification and redemption. One of the first times I taught was a Sunday school in. They gave me free rein. They said, whatever you want to teach. And I just heard my favorite pastor say, this is the most important section of all of scripture. I said, all right, I'm going to teach it. So every word I unpacked in here. And I taught for an hour and 20 minutes or so as I talked about justification. I had all these systematic theologies because everything in the Christian life is summed up right here. I'll save you another hour of this. I'll make it simple. Two words, justification, redemption. What is Justification. Spurgeon says it's changing clothes with Jesus. Man, these are filthy. Romans has told me that these are filthy. They'll never do before the king. I need some new clothes. Thank you, Jesus. And you are made right before God. You're not a blank slate, you are a Jesus slate. He looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness. That's what we're going to sing. Sing it loud because it's true. It's not this. You guys remember glamour shots? Any ladies have a glamour shot somewhere in their house? Indy's the only one, don't lie. Yes! I love it. My mom had like 40 in the hallway. This little picture of me down in the corner. Here's what glamour shots were. I don't know how they tricked you guys into doing this, but come to our studio. We're going to doll you up. And I mean doll you up. So your hair that's normally like this is going to be like this. And your lips that are normally just nice the way they are, I'm going to smack on red paint and huge red poofy cheeks and mascara for days. And you just, those, so proud of those pictures, aren't we? But the fact is, it's still you. It's just a dolled up version of you. That's still Maureen. That's my mom. She looks funny, but that's my mom. That's not justification. You are made new. All of Jesus covers all of you. Amen. Here's where this kind of gets tricky. Because if you just stop there, righteousness is here, respond in faith, you'll be justified. That's a clean little version of Christianity. It's not messy. It's not dirty. It seems too easy. Everything that I have in life that I really adore and love takes work. And it's messy and it's dirty. So that's where this next word comes in, redemption. Justification is not free. It costs somebody a lot. It's messy, it's bloody, it's dirty. The best way I know how to summarize this, the elders don't approve of this message, that's okay. Okay. Two directors that I love their movies more than anyone. Clint Eastwood. Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) I think the elders have left, so I'm good. Let's continue. Here's Both of them have the same sort of movie. Just messy, dirty, bloody, gory. Two big differences. Eastwood's movies never end good. You always leave like, Gosh, I'm so depressed. What just happened? Nothing good happened at the end of that movie. Tarantino, you leave and you're like, I just feel dirty. That was gory. So many bad words. But I feel kind of good. The good guy won. Woo! Tarantino's a theologian. He's soon to be a Christian if I ever get to talk with him face to face. But he sees an underlining story to all of life. That it's messy and dirty, but in the end, good is going to win. And there's a hero at the end of the story. Eastwood is a product of our day to a T. He is the summation of everything that's happened in our culture. There's no point to anything. So don't even try to find one. He's got movies that end in suicide, and you're like, Unforgiven. Raise your hand if you've seen this movie. Don't go out and watch it based off. A pastor's recommendation. Here's the movie Clint Eastwood did. He was a cowboy who was an outlaw. He did all this killing and robbing. And then he wants to clean himself up. So he finds a girl, starts a family. And he starts working his way back towards redemption. Getting better. This is Eastwood. So you're like, man, I think Eastwood figured it out. Maybe this will be a good ending. And the end of the movie is the weirdest ending I've ever seen in any movie. So he's trying to work his way back. He's trying to do good. And eventually he just kind of falls back into his old lifestyle. And the end of the movie is him walking into a bar. And not automatic. And kills everyone in the bar. Like all the innocent people. Just everyone. Shuts the door and walks out. You're like, what just happened? I have no resolution. I I feel heavy. I feel dark. Those of you who haven't seen it, you're confused, like, I would never watch it. I know, I wouldn't recommend it. But that's what this world offers if law is going to be your hope. You can work your way back to redemption, but at the end of the day, you're going to beat down so much, no good ending is at the end of that. Tarantino. Django Unchained? Yes, I like it. This lady over here saw it. The rest of you holy rollers who haven't seen it, let me explain. Spoiler alert, by the way. My dad's probably mad I'm using these. I raised you better than that. Tarantino. Django Unchained. It's about a slave, Jamie Fox. And his wife is still in slavery and he's trying to get her back. And it's messy and it's gory and there's bad language and there's it's just ugly. But the ending is a beautiful picture of why Christianity is all my hope. So he eventually goes in, he finds the plantation owner that has his wife. And in every Quentin Tarantino movie, they've got a good plan, and it just goes awry. But here's the good thing. The good guy always stays alive. So he goes into this plantation and just kills everyone. So good. Don't watch it. I have to watch those when my wife's out of town. Such a good movie, but seriously, don't watch it. I mean, kills everyone. And Jamie Foxx walks out with his wife, lights the plantation on fire... And this is the end of the movie. The plantation burning to the ground. And this slave, Broomhilda, his wife, looks back and sees the life she knew. Slavery. And everything that goes with that. For us, it's law and the bondage of being under the law. And she looks back and she sees it being burned to the ground. You're justified. That's gone. Well, where do I turn? And she turns around and Jamie Foxx is on a horse. I'm your hero. And she gets on the horse with him. That's redemption. We have been right. Our past life has been burned to the ground. And Jesus waits for us to take us away. And we get to go through the rest of Romans and hear more and more truth about what Jesus has done. But that's redemption. It's messy. It took the death of God. Let that sink in. God bled. The guy who created blood... Put on skin so that he could shed it. So that we could turn from a former life and get on his horse with him. Is that good news? Glad you finally came back to us. Here's some good stuff. Let's pray. God, thank you that this message is true, first and foremost. This isn't a story, this is history that's been written. God, I pray for the folks in this room. Pray for the group who would, just don't trust this yet. I pray that they would be broken down. That sin would be real to them. More importantly, sin would be personalized. They'd feel the weight of it. They'd feel the guilt and shame that comes along with trying to be good enough for God. For those who love Jesus, who have watched their old life be burned to the ground. All their baggage... All their corruption, all their sin has been burned to the ground. God, I pray they would walk a little lighter today. Just smile a little bigger. Have a deeper joy because this is true. Lord, thank you for making this real for me. Thank you for being my righteousness. So I am now good enough for you. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. God, I love you. It's in your son's name I pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. We're going to spend the rest of our time together responding to that good news, to that truth. And we'll do that in a few different ways. The first way um, will be communion. We just heard, Josh had had a line in there. He said, we have been made right with God. And if you've been with us for the last three months, you've heard over and over and over again at how we can never get up to the standard that God has for us. Even if we doll ourselves up, make ourselves look as best we can with our best clothes, our best makeup, our best hair, God still looks at us as, as wretched. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus steps in front of us and says, "'Accept him based on me,' and God says, "'I will.'" And so we celebrate that. We remember with the cracker. Jesus says, this is my life that I'm giving to you. He's giving his righteousness, his perfection, his sinless obedience that's credited to us. So Jesus sees us as holy and pure. He sees Jesus. And then he says, take this cup and drink it. And remember me, this is the blood that was shed, the redemption that had to take place. So that we, all of that sin, all of that, baggage that we've lived and that we will continue to live in um, is paid for, paid in full, stamped, signed, sealed, done, no longer held to us. Jesus takes that. So we remember that. So if you're a Christian here today, celebrate that. Rest in that. Enjoy that. Thank God for that. And when your heart's ready, we've got tables up here in the front and there in the middle of the room. Um, when your heart's ready, you can come take that and then and then you can go back to your seat or you're free to take that in the hallways as well. If you're here today and you'd say, that's not me, I'm not in that place yet. I don't know that I trust Jesus with my life. Our hope for you today would be that today would be a day of salvation. Think through those things that Josh just talked about, through those truths in Romans about your life. You know that it doesn't measure up. We would encourage you to take this time to sit there and ask God to reveal himself to you. There's a couple other ways we'll respond. The band will come up in just a moment. We'll sing together. Sing loud. Sing powerfully these truths. And then we also have giving boxes in the back. You can use those as a part of your worship as well. When your heart's prepared, you're free to respond.